Welcome to the GRF On The Go podcast. The subject matter experts at GRF CPAs and Advisors created this podcast to offer insights on current topics, as well as new ideas and best practices that your team can apply today. This podcast was originally presented as a live webinar. CPE information provided during the podcast is no longer valid, but if you're interested in watching the video version of this session or accessing the slide deck, visit our website at grfcpa.com forward slash events. Enjoy the episode and remember to subscribe for future content. All right, everybody, it looks like everybody is allowed in to go. I want to thank you all for joining our panel webinar discussion today, ERP Software Implementation Planning, Simple Steps for Getting It Right, a collaboration between GRS CPAs and Advisors and Wiz and Company. A quick agenda, we'll start with some brief intros, a little housekeeping, and then we'll go into the panel discussion, and then we'll have time at the end for questions from the audience for Q&A and contact info. But you know, if you do have any questions throughout, please feel free to drop them in the chat box and we'll answer them at the end, but so that you don't forget. I am Luis Rivera. I'm a client success advocate here at GRF CPAs and Advisors and the Accounting Technology Services Department. Today we have Alex with us from Wiz and Jim from GRF. Uh, Alex, if you wanna give a brief introduction. Yeah, sure. And thanks for having us. Really appreciate it. I think this is our second webinar now with yeah, GRF. So been fun so far working on these kind of uh, marketing efforts with their team, and it's been great collaborating with both Jim and Luis on this. So, um, my name is Alex Volpe. I lead the technology advisory practice here at WIS. WIS is a top 100 accounting firm based out of Forum Park, New Jersey. We also have offices in New York City and Flemington, New Jersey. Um, so, really, the crux of my day and what I work on consistently is helping our clients either selecting new enterprise software for their organization or implementing enterprise software for their organization. Um, there's a lot of nuances that go into it, and we'll go through quite a bit of that here in conversation with Jim. Um, so looking forward to it and looking forward to diving in and seeing what tips we can share with the audience. Thank you so much, Alex. Jim, if you want to give yourself a brief introduction. Sure. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Uh, sorry, I have never in my life been late to a webinar, but uh, in the remote work world, there are no breaks between meetings. So just ran over a little bit on my last one. My name is Jim Norton. I am the head of our accounting technology services division here at GRF. I'm a principal at the firm. I am a CPA, former nonprofit controller and CFO. It's where I've spent most of my time. And we help people to evaluate all different types of technology for their organization. So whether that is a full-blown ERP system, like we're going to be talking about a lot today, whether it's a budgeting and planning tool or AP automation, AR automation, time and expense, payroll, CRM, all of it. Uh, we help you to look into all of that. We have strategic partnerships with solutions in each of those different areas. Uh, and we, we're focused on helping you find the solution that makes the most sense for your organization. It's going to bring the most uh, digital transformation and benefit to your organization. So excited to be here as well and to collaborate with Alex again and looking forward to our discussion. Thank you so much, Alex and Jim. A little quick housekeeping. There'll be a survey at the end uh, for any thoughts that you have and any follow-up questions you may have. This presentation will be recorded and made available for download upon request. And again, if you have any questions throughout the presentation, please drop them into the chat box and we will answer them uh, following 
the, the panel discussion. So part one will be setting expectations for the project. How long should I expect an ERP implementation project to take? Um, Alex, if you would like to go first on this. Yeah, I could, I could take a first pass. And I think this is quite a loaded question. I think the answer is really gonna come down to the scope of work and what is actually being implemented. Um, if you wanna take Sage Intact, for example, uh, mostly financials only tool, uh, I would say the equivalent of QuickBooks, but on steroids. You know, if you had pretty vanilla requirements around that product, maybe three to four months to go live on that new application. Um, if you're talking about Acumatica, maybe a system that has inventory management, um, more supply chain functionality, you're just going to be adding to the list of build out and design that's going to need to be set up in said project. So if you're going to go into that realm, you know, you could think of anything from, you know, five to eight months. Um, and really depends on how big the scope of work is going to be. Like I said, you know, there could be integration requirements we need to worry about and get third parties involved, whether that's a CRM tool like a Salesforce or a HubSpot. Um, so really it depends on the requirements and what you're looking to service um, and ultimately stand up. So it could be anywhere from three to 12 months, I would say on average, depending on what you're trying to accomplish. Thank you so much, Alex. Jim, if you have any further thoughts. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think that this is a loaded question. I think this is also a question that a lot of people uh, people are hoping that you can give them an answer uh, without going too deep into knowing anything about their implementation. Uh, so, you know, there, there really is no cookie cutter, one size fits all answer to this question. It, you can't, you can't like pull out of a hat and tell somebody, yeah, your implementation is going to take three months or six months because there are so many factors that go into uh, the implementation, such as, like Alex said, what's in the statement of work? You know, are we dealing with just basic functionality? Are we dealing with advanced modules? How much historical data do we want to bring over? Um, how many different workflows or customizations are we going to be building? What are we integrating? Uh, how big is the team on the client side? So when you've chosen a system and you're implementing it, how much time do your people realistically have uh, to devote to this implementation on top of their other job? Uh, if you're using uh, any kind of outsourced help, what is the capacity and what level of uh, support are you getting from those outsourced people? There are so many variables and factors that that can feed into that. So there's really no one size fits all answer. And like Alex said, a three to 12 month, month range is totally reasonable. You know, it's totally reasonable to imagine that you could fall in any one of those uh, lengths of time, depending on what your, the scope of your project actually is. Mm -hmm. and, I've and seen Jim, some even go longer if you're on a really big ERP. That could be two years. Yeah, and Jim, you actually hit on a, a really good point. Um, it really comes down to the bandwidth of your internal staff. Um, I would say on average, the project sponsor on the client side or the company implementing the actual application should be prepared to allocate at least 50% of their day-to-day -day on this project. And if that's not attainable, the thought of a backfill or somebody to potentially step into their shoes while they focus on this technology transformation project is, is something I've seen in the past and work well. Um, you don't want people burned out on this project and you want to keep morale high because it is a long engagement and there are going to be surprises and potential challenges as you go through it. So making sure you have adequate capacity in terms of your own internal staff will really make a difference. Right. Yeah, I, th I think it's important that when, when you ask this question and, and even when you ask this question to the implementation team who's implementing the software, understand that 
it's not all on the implementation team that you've hired. Right? There is a big part of this process that that is the client's responsibility. So, you know, the the factors that go into how long an ERP implementation takes are are not all external. Right? Some of those are within your own organization. Thank you so much, Alex and Jim. That was a very informative response and a great answer to this. Our next question is, will my ERP implementation team work on-site or remotely? Jim, if you want to start this one off. Sure. My response to this would be answering a question with a question, <laughs> what do you want? Uh, you know, that that's and that's how we approach it anyway at GRF. What do you want? And every single time, uh, so far anyway, the answer has always been that we work remotely because we're talking about cloud-based technologies for the most part, and you can do everything remotely, and that's the beauty of the cloud. Uh, and this this is even before COVID became a factor that made everybody go remote anyway. But I, I think a lot of firms, uh, GRF included, will, will answer this question with, what would you prefer? If you have a, a strong preference and reason for, for wanting or needing on-site work, then we'll work with it. Right. And, and a lot of firms will. I think in my, in my mind, the only thing that I can justify with modern systems that there's even a, a reason why it maybe should be in-person is training. Right. Beyond that, it's, you know, remote is going to be more cost-effective most of the time. You're not going to have to pay for all these travel time and travel expenses. So that's my thought. Thank you, Jim. Alex, do you have any other thoughts on this? Yeah, I feel like I can go both ways. And I think remote work can get quite a bit of this done. I, where I see the on-site benefit is in the early stages of the project where the vendor that you selected is still learning your business and your organization and the nuances of all the folks involved. Um, WIS is actually going through an ERP implementation right now. And we found great benefit to have the vendor come on site to requirements gathering with us really try to grasp our concepts and what we're trying to accomplish. And then she's then taken that back and then started to do her work behind the scenes in the actual solution. So um, from an expeditious standpoint or being you know, efficient with everybody's time, I've found that to be helpful. Um, at my prior life, before I joined WISH, I was a traveling consultant and, and doing ERP implementations all the time. And I always felt being on site with the client to kind of see their operations, interact with the teammates, and also build up that rapport because you're going to be working with them for quite some time. Not to say that can't be done remotely, and it can be. Um, I just see that you know on the onset during the kickoff and the initial you know, phases of this, onsite has some benefit, and I would say it keeps things moving nice and fast. Thank you so much, Alex and Jim. Our next question: Should I consider breaking my project into phases? Um, Alex, would you like to start this one off? Yeah, I could. I could start this one off, and I will say yes because there is always going to be so much that a software platform can offer an organization and there's no way you can bite it all off in, in one piece. Um, it's worthwhile to identify right now where the current gaps are with your current technology and what needs to be fixed immediately. So what is your low hanging fruit? And then maybe there are some nice to have functionalities that you move into a phase two that you don't really need today um, and maybe work around that so you have you know, they'll get those quick wins as, as fast as possible, get folks into the new, new system and transacting. And then you can start to put on the ancillary applications, whether those are third parties or diving into advanced modules with whatever ERP you selected. Um, so I always suggest breaking it into phases because it, you know, helps folks also who are working on this kind of see the benefit sooner than later 
Um, you'll be live in the environment and then you can continue to, you know, you pour the foundation of the house, you put up the walls, you put the roof on, um, start to think of it that way in like a construction project. Thank you, Alex, some really great points. Jim, I'm sure you have some additional thoughts. Yeah, I agree with what Alex said. Uh, I, th I think the danger that I see or the trap that I see people get into with phasing is they put things in phase two and then they're upset that they don't have the functionality in phase one. <laughs> so like, you, I think it's important that when you phase something, you understand what you are tabling and, and putting off to your future phase. You know, like, so if, if one of the major reasons that you bought the system is allocation capability, maybe don't put that in phase two um, and then have to explain to people within your organization why you're not able to give them what they wanted. Uh, so I, I think that's really important. I'm, I'm all for phasing, and I, but I think it has to be done uh, consciously and, and very strategically uh, so that you, you table you know, things that truly are okay to, to put off for the future. I totally agree with that, Jim, because you re it really comes down to the communication aspect, right? Maybe if it's an Acumatica, for example, that has the both financial capabilities as well as the customer relationship or CRM function. You know, if you're going to table CRM for phase two, make sure you communicate with your marketing team so that they know we're doing finance first. And then, you know, we'll get to your group in, you know, three to four months, however long that time frame is. But just making sure that they're aware that their functionality is coming, but that they're not surprised when you turn it on and they don't have what they expected. Thank you both for some really great points on breaking a project into phases. Our next question, how will I know if our project was successful? Jim, can you start this one? I have this another loaded question. Uh, <laughs> so I, I think that when you set out to do this, these criteria probably should have been established uh, already at that point. So before you've signed a statement of work, before you have decided on your implementation team, your success criteria should already be in place. Otherwise, it, it's very dangerous to start trying to back into this after you've already started down the road. Right? So that that's that's my thought is... You'll know if your project was successful, if it meets the success criteria you've established when you set out to do this thing to begin with. No, really great point. Alex, do you have anything else to add? No, I think it comes down to that. And, and a cool thing that I've done in the past is kind of poll, you know, stakeholders that are responsible for different functions of the business and ask them, you know, if we turned on said system tomorrow, what do you need it to do? And start to derive your success criteria from that because everyone's going to have a different opinion of what a successful project looks like. And then merge that all into one list and use that as your guide throughout to make sure that we're hitting on pain points and needs of all the employees to make sure that not only is one group happy, but is the entire organization happy with how this system was rolled out. Mm -hmm. And I think that as well, you know, the, the, those success criteria, if you came up with that list, like Alex said, that's something that you could put in and make part of something like a project charter, you know, where people are agreeing and signing off. Yes, this is what I, you know, say a successful project is going to look like. I think it's really important that this not be a moving target. So once you've established what your success criteria are, uh, what we're not going to do is we're not going to get five months into this project 
uh, and start changing, you know, those success criteria? Like, how come it doesn't do this thing that we never talked about? Well, because that wasn't part of the scope of this project. That doesn't mean that it never can be, but let's focus on what the success criteria were. No, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you both for that. Now we're moving on to part two of this. Team member roles during the project. What roles do I need team members in my organization to fill during the project? Jim, if you wanna start this one off. Sure. So I think that uh, the, the roles that your team members need to fill is gonna depend on the size and the scope of your implementation, of course. Uh, if you're putting in uh, a very baseline core financials type of situation, you don't need a team of 10 people with a project manager and a manager under them, right? Um, but if you have a larger project and you have multiple people on your team, you probably need you know, a dedicated uh, project manager, project sponsor, like Alex said. Uh, you need people who are going to be subject matter experts for each of the different areas that that are within the system. So for example, if you have somebody focuses, who focuses on procurement and payables, they should be a subject matter expert for that. That should be a role that you're filling, right? Within, uh, within the team. If there's somebody who needs to really own reporting, somebody should have a role uh, so that they focus on that area and learn it inside out so that they could be your internal subject matter expert. So I think the roles that are important to have, somebody to own the project and be responsible who, you know, the buck stops with them no matter what. And then you need your subject matter experts at, at minimum. You may need to think about uh, a project manager if you're, if you're at the right size. Uh, otherwise, you may have a project manager that your consulting team provides and that could be enough, right? It really depends on the size and the scope of the implementation. Thank you. Alex, do you have any thoughts to add? Yeah, I, I, would, I would add to this. So I agree with everything Jim said. And I think that it's always good to have somebody on your side to be the fielder of the questions from the vendor, because chances are you're going to be working with multiple constituents on the software side, and you're going to be fielding questions from them and ultimately pointing them in the right direction of what users they need to interact with, what business functions that they need to interact with. So that's one. Um, that's also something that WISC can support organizations with the augmented project management functionality. And Jim and I have played this in an implementation, I say, last summer now at this point. Um, we implemented Sage Intact. GRF was operating as the value-added reseller, and WISC was augmenting the client side as the project manager. Um, so having somebody that can kind of field those day-to-days and also provide guidance to the super user groups and as well as like the steering committee on the client side is always beneficial. Um, also helps add some context on why they're requesting things. Maybe it's data. Maybe it's a question about the system design. So just making sure that you have somebody that can fill that that role to kind of be the, you know, the single point of contact for any sort of inquiry. But I think Jim hit on it. I mean, you're really going to want to start to focus on, you know, specific business functions because, you know, procurement is going to have a different need set than your controller or your CFO. So making sure that they are accounted for in the process and the design to make sure that ultimately the team that's implementing the software can deliver it effectively. Thank you both for that. Our next question, how do I know who to involve within my company and when to involve them? Alex, if you would like to start. Yeah, I think this kind of plays off the previous question nicely. So um, one, I think that the steering committee or the select group of individuals 
of the company that's implementing the software should ultimately decide you know, what employees can start to be champions of this application. Maybe there's somebody in my sales organization that can really hit home the value proposition of using a CRM tool because previously we never did that. And now sales reps are going to be like, why do I need to enter all my leads and all my deals into this tool? Well, the value proposition is that we're getting visibility up the ladder. Folks can kind of see what your pipeline is. Um, and we're going to be able to use a tool where everyone can ultimately collaborate. So kind of getting somebody in that role is always beneficial. Um, and then also, too, there might be, you know, more functions that are not needed to be involved right away, whether those are, are technical type roles or users that might not be, interact with the system as much on a day-to-day -day basis. So it's really going to ultimately come down to your scope of what you're implementing. And if that scope is touching multiple departments, make sure that you have a subject matter expert within those functions being represented at all times as conversations are pertinent to them. Thank you so much. Jim, do you have any thoughts to add? Yep. Yeah, so I agree with all of that. I think the biggest guiding principle that I would stick to is not too many people too soon. Uh, I don't want all these cooks in the kitchen, you know, when we're trying to uh, design the system, having been through it on the client side before as well uh, as a controller. Uh, the worst thing that could have possibly happened to me is to have representatives from all over the organization in every single meeting. Uh, because then you're just not going to get anything done, right? So make sure you, you involve people when it's pertinent to them, but very clearly define everybody's roles and what is expected of them. You may even go as far as to define what is not expected of them or discouraged from them uh, in the form of something like a project charter so that you can point back and say, hey, these are the these are the norms and the rules for this project. This is what we're all doing. Um, and, you know, while you may have input into this area, ultimately it doesn't affect you. So back off, right? Uh, so you know, something like that in a friendlier way. But, <laughs> uh -huh. you know, some, you know, you need to have control and you need to, if you have too many cooks in the kitchen, um, you're going to come out with a really bad dish. So. <laughs> Oh, thank you. Really great metaphor there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Next question. What role should I expect my implementation consultants team to have? Jim, if you want to start this one. Yeah, uh, this is another good question. I think every question in here is a loaded question, which is kind of, it, it's a good uh, representation of what the reality is when you're going to implement a system. There are so many variables uh, and this is no exception. So there are a lot of variables to, to how this could shake out. And basically what this boils down to is your statement of work, right? Uh, your statement of work should be, you know, the, the, the guiding set in stone, basically set of rules for what you should be expecting from your implementation team. And if the statement of work needs to be amended, that's what a change order is for. Uh, but your statement of work should really tell you what you should expect from your uh, implementation team. Uh, so, but generally speaking, uh, assuming that the statement of work is is appropriately detailed, you know, you should expect that your implementation team is going to know the software inside out and be able to guide you on whatever you need. Uh, that your implementation team is appropriately focused on your industry and understands the industry that you're operating in, uh, that the implementation team understands your organization 
And keep in mind, they're not going to understand your organization as well as you do, because you probably have been working with your organization for a decent amount of time. You work with your organization every day, day in and day out. They're a guest in your organization. Uh, they should get to know it, and they should uh, learn more and more about your organization every time they meet with you and work with you. Uh, but they're not going to know it to the same extent that you do. So it's you should really expect it to be a true partnership where they learn things from you and you learn things from them and they can use what they've learned to make recommendations about how, how to best uh, be successful in this project. Thank you so much, Jim. Alex, if you have any further thoughts on this. I think Jim covered quite a bit of it. Um, I would maybe put a different spin on it that you're probably going to have more functional type consultants that are doing like the ticking of the settings and the software application to configure it to what your company's requirements are. But then you also might interact with more technical resources that might be working on an integration, say, to your bank or an integration to your CRM tools. So you're getting both flavors there. Um, and I think that delineation will be cleared up as you talk to the project manager as you go through this engagement. But I would say those are the two types of roles you'd most likely be interacting with throughout a project like this. Thank you both for your insight. Our next question, what can I do to support my team members who now have extra work in addition to their normal job responsibilities? Alex, if you wanna start this one. Yeah, and I think I kind of alluded to this earlier on in the, in the chat, but you know, there, there should be an anticipation and at least communicated on the onset before this project even begins that folks will probably be spending at least 50% of their day-to-day -day on this engagement. Yes, yeah, some weeks more than others. It um, really depends on where you are in the project life cycle. Um, but a way to handle this is that, you know, the ultimate benefit of why we're changing technology is to make your life easier. Um, so whatever requirements you're looking to accomplish with this new technology or ERP or whatever system you're implementing, that should be the value proposition on why folks should be excited to spend their time outside of their normal day-to-day -day responsibilities. And if that becomes too much of a burden, the thought of potentially backfilling resources is always a good idea to make sure that the true owner of the processes are fully invested and have the time and the capacity to participate in the design sessions, in the prototyping, in the testing, to make sure that ultimately when you go live, it's you know, in line with what their expectations were. Thank you so much, Alex. Jim, if you have some additional insight. I agree with everything that Alex said, uh, of course. I think that if you have the capacity to be able to backfill and have people that can come in and, and fill you know, some of their normal responsibilities, that's the ideal situation. Not, not every organization, of course, is going to have that capacity because that's dollars that we're talking about. Uh, or whatever currency, but that's money, you know, that you have to spend to uh, to backfill those responsibilities. So uh, in the interim, what you can do is if, if you know, there are deadlines that are not as critical, ease off of those deadlines. I know that when I was a controller, we decided to implement Sage Intact when I was controller, and I had literally no one else. So I was the sole person at my organization responsible for getting that system implemented as well as all of my day-to-day -day controller activities. There were a lot of times where I would meet my VP of finance and I would just say, what do you want? Do you want the system or do you want the financial statements? It's, you get one or the other. Uh, so you, know, you have to be willing to, to be receptive to those conversations as a leader and, and know that there are probably some 
some deadlines or or things that you're used to having that are part of somebody's normal job that you have to uh, be willing to compromise on if you're not going to backfill their position uh, and and give them some direct relief. No, that makes yeah. sense. Or it's even the other way around, maybe taking some of their normal job responsibilities off their plate and delegating that to somebody else as well. Um, so right. clearing up their schedule in the opposite manner. Mm-hmm. Thank you both for that great insight. Part three, project management. I've heard people talk about project management method, methodology. What does that mean and why do I care? Jim, if you could start this one off. Yeah, so project management methodology is a, a fancy way of saying uh, what's the strategy you're using to manage your project, but there's a lot more to it than that. All right, so when you hear the term project management methodology out in the world, just know that there are thousands upon thousands of project management methodologies out there. And so what's really important is that you have the right methodology for their team. Uh, and every team is potentially going to have a different uh, methodology that fits them. So the methodology that I'll talk about and that I find us in a lot with our clients uh, is a methodology called Agile Project Management. Uh, and for us, agile project management uh, is basically the concept that you know, rather than having to take this linear approach to your project where you need to do task A before you can do task B, before you can do task C, it, it breaks down those, uh, those barriers between the tasks and roadblocks and, and allows you to be working on multiple work streams at once, right? So with agile project management, uh, you know, the key is collaborative, quick, right? And you can be very nimble in, in adapting to uh, changes or curveballs that get thrown at you throughout the project, right? So all of the work that needs to be done uh, is you basically have a giant list of tasks and backlog and you've got all of that and you, in a very simplified manner, you tackle what you can when you can, right? And that's agile project management. Now there are certainly, there's still a project plan and there's still guidelines as to, you know, when we think things should happen. Uh, but project, uh, agile project management is helpful and useful for you. Uh, if your project is, is liable to have a lot of changes throughout the project, or, you know, uh, my favorite thing is when we all agree at the end of a meeting that everybody's gonna do this before we meet again, we get to the next meeting and nobody's done anything that they said they were going to do, you know, because all these curveballs uh, uh, came up. So we're able to pivot very quickly when we're in an agile project management environment and say, all right, well, you didn't do this, but we could still do all these other things uh, without, you know, needing to be dependent on this other task that's not delivered yet. So if you need that, if you're not sure a hundred percent what your end state is going to look like when you're setting out, Agile project management is great because you can evolve uh, throughout the project and, and have a little bit more of a moving target. Uh, if you need to work quickly, Agile, it's in the name, right? So if you need to work quickly, <laughs> I will go with Agile project management. Uh, and if you have uh, the client who wants to be involved all the time at every stage, Agile project management is good. Uh, if you know, Agile project management may not be as good for you if... You don't have people who are self-motivated. It kind of relies on people wanting to be those go-getters and and have motivation right, to dive into what they need to do. Um, if you know if your deadlines are not strict, if it's more like a range of dates than a date, 
uh, you may be able to get away with agile project management. Um, but if, you know, if, if your project cannot afford to change during the course, don't go with agile. Right. And, you know, we could probably spend, you know, a whole session talking about each and every different type of project management, but I wanted to highlight agile project management uh, as one that you may see a lot of when you do ERP implementation, especially some of the cloud-based tools uh, where they are very flexible and configurable. And it's not necessarily that every single piece needs to be set up at the same time. Right, so, so that's my thought on project management and, and why you should care because it has a humongous uh, impact on how people are going to experience this project and work in this project. Thank you so much, Jim. Alex, if you have some additional thoughts on it. I do. And I think this we're, we're sounding like broken records here, but I agree with everything Jim said. Um, what I would put a different spin on is Jim hit the, the idea perfectly. It depends on the sophistication of your team. Um, some folks are going to be able to operate in the agile environment, like Jim explained, but maybe there's a, a reason to follow a more linear methodology, one of those being waterfall. Um, you don't really go to the next step in the project until the previous step is completed. And that is beneficial for some client teams. I've seen both methodologies work well, um, but it's really getting an understanding of, you know, capacity of your employees, understanding of what their day-to-day -day responsibilities are. Maybe there's other concurrent projects or specific deadlines that are impacting your entire organization as a whole where waterfall or a more linear project management methodology might be beneficial. Um, there's also the opportunity to combine these. Maybe for certain phases of the project, you operate in one manner, and then the other phases, you operate in another manner. So that's almost something that I would say is a little bit of a hybrid approach, and it comes down to, once again, what you think your team is going to be capable of. Thank you so much. One thing that I'll also add is, you know, so we're being pretty good about defining this for you. Your man project management team or your implementation consultant is not always going to do that. You might not know what you know. What is the label of the project management methodology that we're using when you set out to do the project, unless you ask them. Sometimes they might e might not even know. They might just be like, "This is how we manage the project." And so, you know, really, it's it's something that's good to read up on if you if you're going to have responsibility in an area like this to understand. Uh, the the style that you intend to manage this project in. It's it's good to know what are the characteristics of that so that you can identify and communicate, you know, how this project is going to flow. Thank you. Some really great points from both of you, Alex and Jim. Our next question: What collaboration tools should we use to increase our chances of success? Alex, if you would like to start it. Sure. I think that there needs to be some sort of project management tool being used. Um, they all do quite a bit of the same thing, um, but having something like a teamwork, a JIRA, Mavenlink, which I think Jeff, uh, Jim will probably talk about, um, these are all tools to track the overall tasks and assign those tasks to specific individuals within your company, as well as maybe tasks on the vendor side and what they're responsible for and how we're all marching toward that go live date. Um, Constant communication through these projects is, I would say, mandatory. There's always going to be things that are changing, and there's a lot of people involved more often than not. So making sure that folks are up to speed as well and have a place to go if they were out on vacation or if they were out sick, where they could really just pick up where everybody left off and get up to speed on maybe meetings that they missed. 
Um, so having something where it's a single repository for all project-related files, documents, conversations, I always find is a benefit. And if you're doing a project like this without it, you're really setting yourself up for failure. Um, it's something that I, I would recommend as a mandatory need to make sure that things are being tracked adequately and appropriately and folks know what they're responsible for and what the due dates for said actions are. No, thank you so much, Alex. Jim, if you have some additional uh, thoughts you'd like to share. Yeah, uh, could not agree with that statement more that Alex made, of course. But I, I think it's also really important to to just get out there and say it, that Excel is not a collaboration tool for something like this. It's not enough. Uh, you know, if you try to manage this in Excel, you're going to be in for a lot of pain. Uh, you Because know, these, these project plans are large project plans usually they're they should be very granular so that everybody understands what they have to do uh, and we're not we're not leaving people with more questions than answers when they look at a project plan or a task that they're assigned to uh, so i think the most important collaboration tool that you could use is a collaboration tool right uh, that's intended to manage a project that's giving you the ability to assign tasks to people, to have workflows, to update the status of something that they're working on, to be able to provide written recaps of all these meetings that we're having, file share, like Alex said. If you want to have a Gantt chart, you know, that's a nice to have, not a must have, but a Gantt chart couldn't hurt. Uh, there are certain people that are just wired to think in Gantt charts. I'm not one of them. I actually just prefer a task tracker, but uh, there so people like Gantt charts sometimes, and they're a useful tool to manage the project. So I think using a collaboration tool is the most important step. And what tool you use is kind of secondary to that. And as Alex said, a lot of them do a lot of the same thing. So it's not so important which tool. At GRF, we use Mavenlink, and we really like Mavenlink uh, for our project management. The reason that we like, and actually Mavenlink, I believe now is called Cantata because it recently got acquired. But that tool, we really like to use that, and we use it for all of our implementation projects uh, because it gives us the ability to truly collaborate within the tool. So not only the people on GRF's team, but also the client that we are implementing. Everybody has access to that project management tool. Everybody is able to see in real time what they're assigned to, what their due dates are, to get all of the updates and it sends email notifications as well as posting it to the activity feed. We can share files, we can control privacy of the posts so that we can message privately between people if we want to. Um, and it's a very affordable tool. Uh, you know, it costs next to nothing for us to have our GRF users in there. And we're able to invite clients or the consultants from the clients at no additional cost to them or to us. So it's a great collaboration tool. It's one that I would most highly recommend that I've been using for, for several years. And it's really helped to, to dial up the collaboration effect, I think, on the projects because we're not having to you know, periodically create these reports of all the, the status of all the different tasks and show that to people, everybody could see that all the time. No, oh, thank you so much. Um, our next question, how important is it to have a dedicated project manager? Jim, if you would like to start. I think there needs to be one, at least one. Uh, and I say at least one because Sometimes you have a client-side project manager. So the organization who's selected the software, they may have a project manager that's on their team 
that's, you know, really in the weeds, tightly project managing people within the organization. And then the implementation consulting team will often have a project manager as well to project manage. Now, usually that person is project managing at a bit higher of a level and looking at the overall uh, progress of the project. And they're not they're not so much getting into the weeds of has every single person done each of these trainings, you know, that we've assigned to them, not to say that they can't do that. Usually you have to pay more for something like that, uh, for that scope of project management. But I do think it's important to have at least one project manager on any implementation project. Uh, even if that is somebody who's filling a dual role in their project managing as well as consulting, which we sometimes have at GRF on some of the smaller implementations, but I think it's somebody needs to assume that role. I, I think it's mandatory. Thank you, Alex. If you have any other thoughts on that, I, I would I would agree with everything Jim said. It, it should be mandatory, and I would say it almost is mandatory um, because, like Jim was saying, there's going to be multiple work streams that you on the client side implementing the software need to be considerate of. Um, that being how you're getting your historical data into the new application how you're coordinating with third-party vendors on potential software integrations that you need to work through, um, how you're coordinating with potential difficult personalities or cross-departmental functions that have impact to multiple areas of the business. So having somebody within your company that knows your business that can liaise and help the implementation team be successful in who they're including in meetings and how they're designing the software application only makes things easier because project manager usually has some sort of experience doing engagements like this and implementations like this so they can always help paint that picture of why we're doing a specific task and what the benefit of that is so i always find them to be beneficial and that's a role that WIS assumes quite frequently as we go through and guide our clients through these types of projects and we also really love when WIS does that by the way uh, <laughs> having because we we've been through the the situation where we are uh the implementer and WIS is the project manager and it's uh it's a very good experience just just so everybody knows. <laughs> well, I appreciate that, Jim. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you, Jim and Alex. All right, we are on to our final part, part four, go live. How do I know when we are live in our new ERP system? Alex, if you want to start this one. I guess once the go live date has passed, ideally, right? <laughs> so, um, but other than that, I mean, if it's if you're the controller of a company and you're starting to do your general transacting in the new application, I would say you're live. You're, you're transacting in a new application and you're doing your day-to-day -day as you saw it in your prior life to how it is now in your future state. Um, and obviously, you know, I would say, I don't, this is an interesting question. How do we know when we're live on an ERP? I, like I said, I guess it's got to be when you're transacting in it. Um, that's when you know you're live and you're, you'll be probably working out some kinks as you go through the early stages of it. Um, but once you uh, sunset your old one and you're transacting, you are good to go and you're probably running. Thank you so much, Jim. I'm sure you have some additional thoughts on that. I do. I, I think that if you have to ask this question, your consulting team has failed you in a way. <laughs> Seriously, because if you haven't defined what go live means, at the start of your project, then how does anybody know what they're working towards? Right, how do you how do you know? Like you you should know. I'm live. This means I can do X Y Z, right? Or 
go live means the first day that we're doing transactions, production transactions, we sometimes you know, call them in the system, meaning that we're transacting with real data. We're not just importing history. Uh, go live means that I can run financial reports. There should be much like the success criteria that, that we should have documented at the onset of the project, uh, really before even selected an ERP. Uh, we should also know what live means you know, before we really start working on the project. So if, if that hasn't been communicated to you, that's just an opportunity that I see for, for people to start pointing at each other uh, and saying, you failed, we're not live, or we failed because we're not live. And it's something that should be defined, right, uh, at the onset. And yet normally what I see, uh, just to give a little bit more specific of an answer, normally what I see, like Alex said, is, once you started processing transactions, you know, if you can transact, you're using the system, you're live. But but I don't think it's something that should be left up to, oh, I guess we're live. I, I really do think it's something that should be left up to, this was the criteria that we all agreed upon that means we're live. Are we doing that? Then yes. Thank you both. Some really great points on, on how you should know if you're live. <laughs> Our next question, what is an example of something you have seen that has increased user adoption of the new software platform. Jim, if you would like to start. Um, using the platform. <laughs> <laughs> that's an example of something I've seen that's increased user adoption. Uh, <laughs> but I think that what I, what I also mean by that is not giving people an option to go back. And sometimes what happens is I, I've run into a lot of organizations who, who have this idea that they need to run their old system and their new system in parallel for some extended period of time. And I actually am not a fan of running it in parallel at all. I'm a fan of, we've got our data in, we've tied it out, let's move forward. The old system is in the past. The only thing that running systems in parallel does is give me the opportunity to forget to enter something in one system that I entered in the other. And then I'm going to spend all this time reconciling and, and tearing my hair out. So I'm not a fan of that. I already have a bald spot that's forming in the back of my head. I don't need to tear any more hair out. Uh, but I think that uh, using the system and not giving the option to go back and have a crutch is one. Uh, but I also think training is very, very important. Right? So I think that you cannot, you cannot overdo it on training. And in fact, the the mistake that I usually see people make is is underdoing it on training, and then getting to go live, having no idea what they're doing because they neglected all the training that was recommended to them, you know, for months throughout the implementation. So I think the training is really important. I think that making people actually use the system and not allowing them to have that crutch is really important. Uh, and I think that, you know, there's there's other things you could do. You know, we, we've had post go live, we, we've had support plan options where people have weekly check-ins, uh, much like we would do during the implementation. We keep doing those weekly check-ins for about a month or so uh, after go live to give people that kind of just open, form town hall kind of style to to bring their questions or we have additional planned tailored dedicated training sessions that we do uh, sometimes during the implementation we've even done you know training sessions leading up to go live that are custom built for that client so that there's a lot of things i'm sure alex has a bunch more ideas but th those are some of the things that i've seen 
Thank you so much, Jim. Alex, would you like to share some of your ideas? Yeah, I mean, my motto on this is to get users into the training content as soon as possible. Um, what I see clients do quite often is go through this great implementation project, build out this great solution, and then they're ready to go live and nobody knows how to use it. Um, that is the biggest crutch I see sometimes going through this. So what you can do to avoid that is typically with a lot of these ERP vendors, probably before you even have your first meeting with your implementation team, you're going to be getting access to their learning cloud or their learning portal where there's recorded content, videos, documentation. You should be able to get your employees into that as soon as possible. Um, yes, it's usually probably going to be very overwhelming. There's going to be a lot of content there. So maybe working with the vendor as well as your project manager, identify a curriculum by user type. Um, the controller is going to have very different needs than your procurement agent versus your CFO versus your CEO, right? So identifying what is important to each role and then pointing them into the direction of how they can then self-serve that content the stuff that we can then track ultimately throughout the project and how folks are going in there and self-serving and, and learning. Um, and then by the time user acceptance testing comes where they're actually going in and doing the clicks throughout the software, they have you know an understanding of how to navigate the application, what, what buttons mean, what they do. Um, so they're already going into those training sessions that are going to be more value-based because they're going to know how to navigate the application. Yeah. I, I, and I just want to add, like Alex said, as soon as possible, get into that training. I, I normally what we do at GRF is on the kickoff meeting. One of the first things we cover is here's your agenda of all the recommended learning sessions. And I'm often surprised when I, two months later, none of those learning sessions have been completed yet. So don't do that. Uh, that's not going to be good for your user adoption. <laughs> Thank you so much, Alex and Jim. Our next question, how do companies properly train new employees and users? Alex, if you want to start this one off. Yeah, sure. So I think it's probably taking the, the previous idea a step further, right? So you're going to have probably general navigation within the application that everybody's going to need to learn how to do. But maybe I'll use procurement again. Maybe procurement, procurement creates a purchase order. And they need to receive it in, but they order a special item that needs to get a compliance check once they receive it into the, the warehouse doors, so to speak, right? So they need to make sure that they receive the item in, move it to the QC location or the quality control location within the application, do their physical quality control check in person. Once it's good, either move it to inventory or if it's bad, you remove it out, right? Not every company is going to have inventory that needs a quality check upon receipt. Everybody's going to be ordering, you know, maybe... Um, cleaning supplies or janitorial supplies or office supplies. You don't need to check to make sure that your, your mead pads are, are good, right? So understanding the nuances of those use cases that are going to be specific to your organization, make sure the opportunity is there for folks to test out those processes because I'll even go back to another example. Every company needs to pay bills. Every, that process is probably going to be the same for almost every organization, but there might be some nuance in your process you know, due to some specific requirement or compliance that you need to worry about to make sure that that is drafted in a use case so that when you're going through testing, you have that one drawn out. So the user responsible can actually go through the, and do those clicks that are outside of, I would say, the vanilla design. Thank you so much, Alex. Jim, if you have any thoughts to share. Yep. Everything Alex said, uh, definitely agree with. I think that you have to keep in mind that, uh, like he said in the last question, the, the softwares that you're working with have usually you know, amassed this giant collection of learning and training. 
that you're going to have access to immediately. So step one of properly training your new employees and users is taking advantage of all of that because at the worst case that it could possibly be is that that lays your foundation for then going on to, you know, tweaking and tailoring things to be more specific to your organization. But there cannot be any harm to learning the foundation of how the product works. So make sure that you do that uh, and, and take advantage of those resources. Most of the time, those resources are free or very inexpensive. Uh, and then the other thing that I would say is uh, way back when you are scoping your project and deciding what your consulting team is going to deliver, at that point, be honest about what level of training and handholding you think that your team is going to need and make sure that that's built into the scope. So if you think you need your consulting team to deliver and build custom trainings for your organization above and beyond what the, the software offers, then figure out what that's going to cost because if there's the right time to make that investment, this is the right time to do that. Well, thank you so much, Alex and Jim. We're on to our final question. What is the role of my implementation consulting team after we've gone live? Jim, if you want to start this one out. They should always be supporting you. That's, at, I mean, at, at a, to give a quick answer to that, I think that's what it is, is they should always be supporting you. Now, what that support looks like is going to depend on what you want. Uh, at least with most firms, that's definitely how it is with GRF. You know, we're not going to require you to get some big expensive support plan if that's not what your organization A has the budget for or, or B even needs because maybe you have a pretty good self-sufficient user base, right? So we're going to give you options. And, and I think most firms that, that play in this space will do the same. They're going to give you options for different levels of support that you can access. So do you want a support plan that includes a lot of extra training and consulting hours? Or do you want a support plan that's basically pay as you go? All right. So, but their role is to support you. Uh, in in almost every ERP system that I know of, if you're if you're working with an implementation consulting partner, usually that's going to be the same partner that supports you after you go live, right? Unless you've bought directly from the software vendor, and then it's a different situation. But their role is to support you, uh, and how they support you is going to be dependent on your budget and your level of need. But they should be willing and able to, to give you a support plan that meets your needs and that is not overkill, but also is not you know, underdoing it. No, thank you, Jim. Alex, if you have any final thoughts for this one? Yeah, I'll, I'll wrap it up with this. You know, your implementation team doesn't really just go away after you go live. Um, typically there, there's something in quite a few SOWs or statement of works that I see quite frequently. It's something called post-go live support. So if you have an SOW in front of you right now, take a look for that. Um, typically, the team that you've been working with throughout the entire implementation will hang around, answer, be able to answer any questions you have, but also assist with maybe your first close or your first month-end close, make sure that operates correctly, make sure that it's operating the way you want it to, um, just get you through those additional like monthly-type milestones. Um, and then that support might wean off as you really get a better grasp of it and your team is starting to take ownership of the new application. Um, so I'll just say, like, you know, like I said, they don't really disappear. Um, and they'll be around in some way, shape, or form to assist as you are going through the early stages of adopting this new application for your organization. Thank you so much. I'm going to open up the question section. I'll give you guys a few minutes if you have any questions to drop it in the chat. 
I want to thank Alex and Jimbo while I'm at it for their insights and their time for this presentation. And if you have any questions, please drop them in the chat box and I'll put up their contact information. If you would like to further discuss anything discussed here today with Alex or Jim, you can reach out to them here. There'll be a survey after the event. And you'll also get a follow-up email from me. Um, but if you have any questions, please drop it in the chat box. We'd be happy to answer while everyone's still here. Nothing yet, but I have seen some people dropping off. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we answered everything, yeah. Jim. Yeah, I guess so. We are coming up to the end, too. So I, people got to get going. We totally understand that. We, we appreciate everybody's time. And Alex, appreciate you collaborating again with us uh, on this Likewise. Session. Yeah, it was fun. We'll do it again. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you, all. you guys. I'll have a great day. Okay. All right. Have a good one, everyone. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the GRF on the Co podcast. Visit our website at grfcpa.com for more information about the services we provide, the industries we serve, or to request a quote.